Hello, everybody. Welcome. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. My name's Stu Trelli, President and CEO of the Sandstone Group. Not only is it casual, but I got a very important guest here. I got to see him on Fox News, and that's when I reached out. I knew I had to visit with him. His name is Craig Rucker. He's with C-Fact, and I mean the article and the news interview on Fox was really good. It's about my really hot button. Why are all the dead whales around? Hey, thank you, Craig, and we want to hear about C-Fact and how everything's going. Well, it's a pleasure to be on, Stu. Um, I'll tell you, with the amount of facts and stats that you have in that article, what we're seeing is the people are just hearing energy hypocrisy. And that is, let's roll out all these green offshore wind farms. But when there is some of the things ending up back and forth with the number of dead whales showing up, I've been teasing with one of my co uh, co-hosts, whales, oil saved the whales the first time, and then Greenpeace saved them the second time with Patrick. And now it looks like we're going to have to save them again with oil saving them the third time. But we're going to need people like you elevating this thing up. Well, uh, thank you. And actually, that is why we've been trying to draw attention to it. Uh, the reason for being on Fox, of course, was we organized a uh, protest of sort to go mm-hmm. out offshore Newport, Rhode Island, kind of between uh, Montauk, Long Island, Newport, Rhode Island and Martha's Vineyard, where they're putting in Orsted is the name of the company, something like a dozen or more offshore wind turbines. These things are huge that they're putting in. There are upwards yeah. of 750 feet tall. By comparison, if you were to look at that uh, in a macro level, you would say that um, the you know, uh, Washington Monument is about 550 feet. So this is towers well above those. And uh, in wow. fact, if you include the turbines that go around, it's almost twice the height of the Washington Monument. Anyway, wow. they make a lot of noise. And uh, vibrations, vibrations. And it's that that we particularly are are concerned about right now. The Biden administration has plans to put in uh, about 30,000 megawatts of offshore wind power uh, between now and the year 2030. Their ostensible reason for this is climate anxiety, in my opinion. They they believe the world's going to end from climate change. Of course, AOC famously said that back in 2018. We have 12 years left, then the end. Uh, I guess Biden believed it. So they want to put in 30,000 megawatts by 2030. That amounts to 1,500 of these monstrosities uh, dotting our eastern coast all the way from North Carolina right up to New England. And they're putting them right in the lanes of where... Uh, numerous uh, migratory whale species go up and down the East Coast, about 15 to 30 miles offshore. We're also talking porpoise and marine animals. Yeah, many marine mammals. And and it's a threat to any of them because that are sonar guided, and a lot of them are. So, again, they're putting them right there. They're less of an eyesore because they're far enough offshore. Most people can't see them. But... uh, but they're oh, in an ecologically very sensitive area. And that's what we're trying to draw attention to with our protest. We were happy the New York Post picked it up. Uh, Fox nice. News picked it up. One America News picked it up. And most importantly, your show here picked it up. 
Now, I'll tell you, because um, I've been uh, talking about the the renewable energy uh, hypocrisy killing the Eagles. I think you can see the Eagles back behind me for my podcast listeners. Um, my son painted that out of Alaska. I love Eagles. I got some near my other lake house. Love Eagles. Love whales. Love being a conservationist. But you can also be a conservationist and still want low-cost power. So... When we sit back, Craig, and take a look at uh, a couple, about a month ago or so, I really tried to understand why the whales were, were being killed. And that tower that you described is humongous. But if it's floating, it's also got a lot of room underneath it, right? It's got, and then it has feelers of guy wires out there holding that thing down and so it's the sonar and the vibrations from a technical standpoint is magnified uh horrifically is that a fair statement i think it's at least something that should be looked at i i believe most of the floating windmills are being proposed off the west coast of the united states okay um, and there is reason to be concerned about the cables, of course. There's also reason to be concerned that even with the stationary ones, the vibrations right. can be significant. There's been a couple of European studies which have looked at the impacts of offshore wind. I believe they're off the coast of England. I think there's another one that's right. good. And they found that the marine environment in general is harmed negatively. In fact, Norway, which had uh, right. was going to propose offshore wind in a certain area of the North Sea, just canceled theirs based on. Environmental footprint uh, yes. that, that uh, they found from offshore wind. So your your concerns are correct uh, with the floating ones. Even the stationary ones, because of their size, create humming of some sort. Oh, yeah, at decibel so, levels that impact it. So, Craig, are these monstrosities that we're talking about? Those are solid uh, uh, in the ground. I mean, that's got to be a, a heck of an installation and expensive. It is. And a matter of fact, really, one of the things they promised with offshore wind is that there'd be a lot of American jobs. But the, there really is no offshore wind company in America, per se, right. that can put these in. So we've been contracting with European form, firms. The one that was at the um, South Fork uh, Wind Reserve is uh, Orsted is the company. It's basically a Danish company. Huge okay. ship. These are monstrosity of ships they put in. And actually, it's not just once the turbines are up, but even the construction of them that are a problem. Uh, they are doing pile driving. These are uh, laying the foundation for sticking them in the ground. And they use wow. hydraulic hammers that are just massive. And they create also a lot of clanging and noise under the ocean that can carry on for miles. And since they've been doing both the pile driving Right. And the sonar mapping of the floor, which also creates sound, there's been about a 400% increase in whale deaths in many places. Now, the numbers aren't huge. I think it's about 30 this year have beached themselves that we know of, but we right. don't know how many have died out in the ocean either. So, uh, right. you know, we're just going by the ones that have come up, mostly humpback right. whales. You know, you sit back and you kind of sit back and go, the amount of whales has been hundreds uh you know when you sit back and take a look but when you sit back and take a look at what years or how however long that was you also have uh craig you brought up a great point we don't know how many are, are dying out there but boy the ones that are, are all kind of marred or marked and it just seems very hypocritical when we sit back and say green energy and whales and marine life are critical for all life on the planet. Did I miss that part of biology? 
No, you're you're making an excellent point. And by the way, uh, I don't know uh, our organization, which is poised to sue Dominion Energy, which is one of the ones putting it off the coast of Virginia. Oh, right. Um, and others that are suing off New Jersey and other states that are also involved in this Biden plan to put these in are not saying definitively, we know for sure that these wind farms are. We just know that since they started doing them, there's a suspicious high level of whale deaths. And uh, it's plausible that these sounds, because we know they exist at high decibel levels, and we're talking many of them over 120, 160 decibel levels underneath the ocean can be caused by this, that right. in the past, the Greens have had freaked out about if the Navy ever did that, they would be right. upset about it because it would impact uh, the whales. They're making those noises. There's been an increase in whale deaths. How about we look at it and study it? They are right. not willing to do that. They aren't willing to do that. They they only look at a whale if its eardrum was shattered. And then if they say if its eardrum was shattered, then then we can say it was caused by this. But nobody suspects that the eardrum is being shattered. What we're seeing is that they're getting disoriented and running into boats and running up on shore. I think that their criterion for harm is just too limited at this per- precise moment. Well, Craig, let me throw this ugly squirrel at you here. And in the oil and gas space out in the Permian, out in West Texas, you know, it's a huge oil field and they stopped a bunch of drilling for lizards. Now, they said it was a, a rare lizard. And wherever we're all kind of scratching here going, there's millions of these lizards everywhere. There is not an endangered lizard. I mean, it is all over the place, but the administration and the regulations are shutting down oil, but yet we can kill all these whales. I'm not buying this uh, hypocrisy here. No, I'm not either. But it's interesting that Greens would never, and neither would the liberal politicians out of uh, New Jersey and New York and these other places, allow an offshore oil firm to do exactly what's happening here. You better believe there would be studies. And if even one whale died, everything would shut down. We know that. Oh, oh, yeah. But they're willing to make exceptions because of this, because it advances this climate narrative that we're all, you know, There's lots of money involved in this. And we see the same thing on the other coast in California with respect to eagles, which you just mentioned. Just last month, Senate Bill 147 passed California, which basically exempts the taking of gold and bald eagles from uh, solar and wind projects out there. There's one firm, apparently, according to the news, uh, chopped up some 150 eagles last year, uh, and they don't want to have them be liable for any damages or having to shut down their operations. I read that. I think it was the same one where they said your quota is 100 eagles or something like that. They even gave them a quota. You By the way, both birds, both birds are protected. I mean, especially oh, eagles. We've got the North American Bird Treaty, the Bald Eagle Protection Act. If you even, I, there was one time, uh, and this goes back, I'd have to find the story, but in North right. Dakota, where they thought they had a few uh, uh, threat to eagles, they didn't, but they found a few dead Phoebes, which is a common bird, and I think right. a couple of Canadian geese. And they shut that down for three months because it might pose a threat to eagles out but there. If you're- they, 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 they do not allow any taking of even one unless it's for green energy. If it's for green energy and right. for environmentalist energy, then yeah, what's a few eagles? What's a few whales? 
but you know when I, I what got me on this one is that there a hunter I saw um, I think it was uh, earlier this year was charged and sentenced to a couple years for killing an eagle when it was coming after his dog. I'm like. <laughs> You know, uh, wait a minute, a couple years with one of them that's hassling his dog, but yet you're, you, you know, you can kill 150 of them and it's okay. Uh, no, it sounds crazy. It's hard and it's difficult to put yourself in their mindset. But when right. I do talk to them and I've had occasion, we actually had a couple of environmentalists that were from the political left out on our protest uh, offshore. And yeah. they kind of confirmed what I was thinking. But there was an article written in California not long ago by an environmentalist who justified it this way. And I think it right. speaks for a lot of the, the people in their mindset. Right. If you truly believe the world is going to burn up from climate change by the year 2030, if that's right. what's driving your thinking, then if a few eagles have to die to stop that from happening and a few whales have to die because the end is happening in 2030, that's how they justify it, that the planetary crisis of climate change is so severe. And since yeah. we're all going to perish, and that right. includes whales and species, therefore, if we have to axe a few and throw a few out of the lifeboat right now, and, and they have to die to stop that awful thing from happening, therefore, we have to. Now, our retort to that is we don't yeah. really agree with them. <laughs> Because right. they've had these deadlines in the past numerous times, which we've reported on our website, Climate Depot, where they thought the world would end in the early 2000s, the mid 2000s, you know, 2000 teens. Uh, we right. just had Greta Thunberg say in 2018, she said in five years, the world will end. She just right. went down. Uh, these, this sort of date setting they've done for decades. Uh, Paul Ehrlich, right. going back in the 60s, thought the world would end by the mid-1980s. and There would be just massive famine and the battle to feed humanity is over is how he starts his famous book, The Population Bomb. So right. you know, nothing that they have said uh, bears any semblance that we're all going to perish in you know, 2030. My guess right. is when the world keeps going on by 2030, they'll just move the deadline another 10 years. Well, it, it seems like, Craig, that you're tied in on the regulatory side as well as trying to make sure that you're out there doing it. Tell me a little bit about your boats. When you went out and did this protest, uh, you had several boats. You were out there. This is very much like Patrick uh, Moore when he was out there, you know, in front of a uh, tanker or getting harpoons shot at him. So tell me about that. Well, we took off. This goes back uh, late uh, July. Uh, and uh, it was, in fact, inspired by Patrick Moore from Greenpeace. And he was invited and was going to go with us up until he hurt his leg in a boating accident right beforehand. So uh, he kind of bailed on us at the last minute, but we decided to continue on with it. But yes, it was inspired by that. Back in the 1970s and early yep. 80s, Patrick Moore used to take these boats out and confront those who were harpooning whales. Right. And his activities ultimately led to the banning of that sort of uh, moratorium on hunting whales like that and led to their resuscitation yep. very impactfully. Patrick today, of course, opposes these offshore wind farms like we do. And we were going to take him back out and say, you know, 50 years after he last did it, uh, Patrick Moore hits the seas again to champion yep. this. And uh, we were going to have him do that. So uh, that that was the inspiration for it. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, it'll lead to further 
protests by we invited fishermen with us too. Yes, great book. Um, I have uh, Patrick Moore coming back on this, and I just want to give him a shout out. I absolutely had an absolute blast with uh, Patrick Moore. I mean, he is a cool dude. I, he gave me a whole new perspective to Greenpeace, and uh, I I would believe with him and you uh, on how all this is going to go around. But you know, for the podcast listeners, I held up his book, "Fake Invisible Catastrophes and the Threat of Doom" by Patrick Moore. So he's coming back on to talk about this one. This will be our second one with him. Well, he's been an inspiration to me for years. We we've, we've made two movies. Uh, one's called Climate Hustle and Climate Hustle Two. No uh, way. Yes, they actually were in theaters. The first one actually was the number one movie in America for one night. But now it only beat out by Big Fat Greek Wedding 2 and Batman versus Superman. That was in 2016. Oh, no. Patrick Moore was in that movie. And he was in our second movie, which was starred Kevin Sorbo. Uh, Oh, yeah. He's a. he uh, was in there, and um, unfortunately, that came out right during the COVID crisis when all the movie theaters were shut down. So we had to put it out online. Uh, but both movies uh, are still available. If you come to our website, cfact.org, you can get them. And uh, oh. Patrick's a, a big feature of that uh, in that in our both our movies and uh, continues. Ooh, fantastic. I'll have that link in the uh, show notes so that we can get everybody over there and take a look at them. I know I'm going to. So this is really cool. I just, I, the energy hypocrisy and the ESG hypocrisy drives me nuts. And it is my firm belief, Craig, that we need to use all forms of power to deliver the lowest kilowatt per hour to all people of the planet with the least amount of impact on the uh, environment and sustainable by being able to be supported by the markets. Okay. If you hit that, you're going to have the least amount of impact. If you're sustainable by being able to be uh, on the markets, it means you're not going to print money. And uh, Craig, I've been digging around on the, on the windmills and I found the meantime between fiscally responsible and when you can actually use them is not 30 years. It's not 20 20 years. It's not 10 years, eight years. And I'm, I've been pleading for folks to give me numbers and say, wait a minute, these are now 30 year machines. No, I'm finding they're eight year machines. And it's because of after the first eight years, the tax revenues and everything else, and they're on the declining scale and the maintenance is going up. So you have this going on as far as all my numbers are going. And then you have the cost to the consumer. So why is the cost for Germany and California and Scotland, any of these places, the highest in the world? Well, it's the tax revenue. It's clear it is. I mean, on the national average, Americans pay what, about 12 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. If you go over to the countries that rely heavily on wind, you're looking at Germany or Denmark, uh, you're looking at 30 cents or higher. As they right. continue to escalate their wind and solar usage, uh, right. you're going to see that in both cases, that'll hit, um, uh, you know, 40, 50 cents or more. A kilowatt. Yeah. I even have some people in Germany who actually say the true cost is 50 cents a kilowatt hour that they're paying over there. But uh, irrespective, you know, even if we just go by the by the official numbers, they're paying about 35 cents a kilowatt hour, which is crazy. 
It, it is. And I'm over here in uh, Texas. I love Texas. I love Governor Abbott. In fact, I was just on a doing a podcast uh, production with Governor Perry. And the energy of using nuclear, natural gas, renewable storage, I'm okay with that. Let's have a balanced energy. This is not a, oh, by the way, uh, you know, get rid of all renewable. Let's use them all. But you, let's use them responsibly and where they fit. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, let's take care of the animals and the energy, but humans first. It seems like the green side of the the argument is that they could care less about humans. Am I well, missing that? No, you're not, uh, actually, because actually, in both cases, renewable energy, by being so expensive, hurts the poor the most. Because they exactly. Afford it. And you get what they term energy poverty, where people have to make a choice between heating and eating. Right. Uh, I look at the figures in uh, in England. They actually have measures of energy poverty. It's skyrocketed since they've abandoned wow. coal and started going toward uh, a green future. And you see the same in Germany and other places. Here in America, it's going to be terrible. Now, the left, uh, the green left, has come up with solutions to that. What they're trying to do now, realizing that it does impact the, the poor the most, they're starting to give subsidies to help the poor pay their bills. But this sort of transfer payment just to give them money to be able to afford expensive energy, uh, long term is not a solution. We need cheap, affordable, abundant and safe energy. And insofar as wind and solar go, I don't see that they meet many of the criterion on a utility grid level. Now, that said, I myself in a home, I live in a rural area of Virginia. I use solar power on my property. I have a cistern that I pump water into my house. I use solar. Yep. I have a, a, a fence gate that I open and close. Uh, it would be too much for me to draw a line there. Solar has solar has practical applications, certainly right. camping or if you're on the water, and wind can too in a limited way. But when you're doing utility style uh, windmills that take up vast stretches of habitat that are killing off eagles, that are killing off whales, that drive up the costs of electricity, uh, honestly, I just don't think it's ready for prime time. And I think we'd be better, especially if you're a person concerned about global warming and you stay up night about it, which isn't me, but if you were one, nuclear power should be your choice of, op, you know, where you should be wanting to go. But Craig, why is the hypocrisy there? Because it seems like to me, you know, Meredith Angwin out there uh, was shortening the grid. Her book is phenomenal. Excellent. And I'm here as a cheerleader for her. Uh, but, you know, you sit back and kind of go, you would think that being a nuclear advocate would help supply the baseline for renewables because Texas did it all. I mean, they got wind, they got solar, they got nuclear. All right. And we've got a fair price. So I'm okay with that. But oil's paying for the whole state's budget. So it is. And, uh, I'm a big fan of her book. Shortening the Grid is one of a classic. I think anybody on your podcast ought to read. And uh, though I may disagree with her on the climate change issue, I th- uh, because I, yep. I do it on her solutions to how to handle the grid and the problems with the RTOs yep. and ISOs and the FERC and all the ways that they're nobody is taking charge of the grid. Um, no. Really. They're interested in reaching political mandates, which is how much renewable can we have? What are we? Right. 
it's it's all about the money and show showcasing kind of a, an ESG woke thing that we're we're going green, even if the oh, lights yeah. wind up going out on people, that doesn't seem to matter to them as long as they can sell themselves and get a good ESG score. Well, you know the oh, sorry. Uh, you know, Meredith, uh, speaking of Meredith, uh, her husband, George, just sent me some facts and figures on his findings of the wind. And I can't publish them because I got to talk to him first about them. But his numbers are good. And I, I, it's tough to get wind numbers. So I, while we're giving a shout out to Meredith, I want to give a shout out to her husband, George. He's a sharp cat, too. I'm not surprised. Uh, so anyway, I, uh, we have a we have a project we call the Net Zero Reality Coalition. And as there's this okay. try to make us net zero, which is eliminate all hydrocarbon energy, uh, which a lot of the green those in the green movement, the Biden administration, and even right. some international leaders, you know, uh, all coming around kind of the UN Paris Accords to try to eliminate fossil fuel uses. Uh, we just want to point out uh, some of the things that are don't make sense. And one of them is the battery storage. We released a couple of reports recently just showing that the amazing amount, uh, it's just totally impractical. In fact, to try and get the battery storage to back up the grid would literally be as much as the U.S. GDP each year, something like $23 trillion, which you would have to do again every few years because the batteries don't last. Right. Uh, it's not practical. Uh, nobody has that type of money. And, uh, and then, of course, you borrow a whole lot of other problems because you have the disposal of those batteries. Where are you going to get the materials? We, the world currently doesn't produce enough. Ever, if you add it all together to be able to get the types of rare earths and uh, critical minerals needed to make those batteries. Yep. And uh, even Elon Musk, when he was uh, talking and he he has a, a one of the leading batteries that could be used on the grid level, admitted that batteries can't do it. Uh, right. So. I, I, I just think this whole uh, effort to get rid of fossil fuels is foolish. Uh, fossil fuels are an important part of our mix. We need to continue using them. And uh, I, I don't see the environmental apocalypse that the Greens are talking about being a reason that we can't continue yeah. to use them in the foreseeable future. But you know what's going to be fun is we, we're going to release this, Craig, and then the UN, Google puts out on here, the, the Google uh, says, the UN says climate change is this. And I'm like, anytime I can get that flag by the UN, I'm a happy camper. It means I'm actually, we're talking evidently something that means something. So uh, I've actually been banned by the UN. And uh, the only time I ever met Bill Gates, uh, I made him so mad he could barely even speak. So I got that going for me, you know. I've been to 30 some UN climate meetings dating back to the 90s. I've been yep. thrown out of a couple of them. Nice. Uh, but <laughs> I made my way back in. So uh, you and I share their, <laughs> their dislike. Maybe this broadcast will be something that they ban at some point, too. So. Oh, I hope so. You know, uh, you see, that's why we have to have our own channel. And if you don't have your own channel, podcasts are a way to get from. I, I was surprised to see you on the news, to be honest with you. Uh, and then when you got picked up on the those too, by the way, but, uh, you know, it happened from time to time. You know, you get, I, yeah, I, I was surprised. Yeah, you get lucky. Well, yeah, every here and there. But actually, I think one of the reasons we can get on the news more is right. I think it's a surprise to many and even the mainstream media that the Greens and the, those on the political left are not supporting the whales and the eagles. This is right. their soft underbelly. It shows their hypocrisy. Right. So I think so long as we stick on the we're on the side of the angels on this issue, we're pointing out some things that are really problems. I think right. that we'll see 
more success with that message. And even people like me can get on the news. So, (laughs) and you know, who would have guessed in 77 when I was out there, you know, way back when that I'd be a podcast host, go figure that out. You know, I'm having a blast getting to talk to people from around the world. I'm glad you're out there. Do what? I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. We need uh, we need you out there. And uh, I think the Internet is our salvation on this stuff. Uh, so long as it is a free Internet and we don't start uh, seeing people right. banned and taken off or having uh, opinions that don't uh, conform to those who kind of run well, the show on Facebook and Twitter and those places. I can tell you right now, Craig, that uh, my news site uh, is getting shut down by Google. I, I know that for a fact. Uh, they are trying to cut out uh, everything on it. And we're still getting 20 to 60,000 people a day on the site. And it's still, I can, I know how they're doing. I know what they're doing and it bugs me to no end, but you know what? You got to have your own channels and you got to have your podcasts and you got to have your way to get it out there so that we can spread the word of humanity. We're talking about humanity. We're not talking left, right. We're talking what's best for people and people are forgetting that if I'm, um, does that make sense? It does. No, I, I think you're correct. And that, that's kind of what we do it too. I know I mentioned liberal environmentalists and I said, and I, they to me have been the ones that have been the biggest problem. That said, <laughs> on our boat ride, uh, yeah. out there, it was kind of odd, but uh, we invited two people from the political left to join us. And okay. from local Save the whales efforts. We had a blast, and uh, oh, how fun! They were, they were, they were, they were angry at the mainstream environmental groups. We're talking the uh, Environmental Defense Fund, Natural right. Resources Defense Council, uh, Friends of the Earth, those types of groups. Right, uh, because they're not saving the whales. And I said, go figure. Here we are, a group that's known for free markets, and you know the CFAC type right. group. Yucking it up with a bunch of people from the far left. I said, this issue is bringing us together from both sides because (laughs) we both are united in the idea that the green energy is bad for whales. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for consumers. And, um, you know, I throw that out there that actually there's kind of new alliances that are forming. Isn't that fun? Yeah. It's like uh, Greenpeace. I did not know that Patrick was so cool. I mean, I did not know that uh, with, with Greenpeace until I interviewed him. But where do you see uh, coming around the corner? Uh, on, are you going to go to COP28? Yes, we'll be. We'll, absolutely. We've been to every single one of them. We'll be in Dubai uh, okay. as well as we have the last year. And we'll, we usually like to do a few fun things at these things. We, uh, okay. we've, done, we, we've done some crazy stuff. We've jumped out of airplanes to call attention to climate gate too we've uh, boarded these ships and dropped banners off them uh we put we've been kicked out of one in morocco for putting up uh, for shredding the paris accord in the middle of the press center uh so nice. we, like to, we like to do some protests and have fun we also do serious press conference where we bring in scientists and talk you know and have panel discussions and things of that sort um and okay. i do the united nations credit though i know they don't agree with anything we do they have right up till now, given us a forum to air our views and haven't harassed us too. Wow. Until they see this podcast. But I got a favor to ask of you. Sure. And that well, is. You want to go with us? Uh, that, I'm in. Uh, oh, that would throw me out, though. Uh, you know, if I if I made Bill Gates that mad, they're going to throw me out. But what I would offer for you is I would love to have, um, you know, as many as you want podcasts and interviews so that we can get it out on your channel or our channel 
and we can cut them up quite quickly and roll them right on out. So we would love to do that for you. Oh, we'd be happy to do it. We actually have a podcast section of our uh, website. Uh, We actually sponsor one. uh, It's called the District of Conservation with Gabriella Hoffman. Oh, great. uh, We just sent her to Alaska to uh, uh, talk about the pebble bed mine and uh, some of the stuff dealing with animal species up there and forest management in the Tongas. Okay. Uh, We are happy uh, you know, to have you on. And if you want to give it, want us to post your podcast, that would be something I think we'd be very amenable to. So why don't we, we discuss that? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause what happens at comp 28 is very, you know, back in comp 26, I was kind of going through the language on that. And Craig, I thought it was pretty interesting that in comp 26, they kind of snuck in some language that saying that natural gas and nuclear were kind of renewable. Cop 27 rolls around and then they start kind of burying that in there. And then um, the several of the Biden administration in the EU all started filtering up into their legislation that natural gas and nuclear were available for renewable funding because they realized that they quietly could sneak this language in starting in COP26 that, oh, natural gas wasn't as bad, and they're just now starting able. You still have people's heads explode when you say you want to put in a pipeline. But you look at some of the language all along. I've been traveling, watching that language, and it kind of pops up from COP26. So if you're at COP28 and we can help get your word out and really get what's going on, because the mainstream media is only going to pick up what certain people want to say. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I generally have found that their willingness to accept uh, both natural gas and nuclear comes if they're having issues trying to move their agenda forward and they temporarily include those sources of energy just so they they can keep the program marching. But once the program's fully up and operational, they'll call these transition sources ones that need to be eliminated down the road. This goes back actually to the first Kyoto Treaty. They did that in 97 when Bill Clinton was in office. They passed the Kyoto Protocol and they did not allow for nuclear and they did not allow for natural gas or anything like that. But then George W. got elected and he said, I'm not going to sign the Kyoto Protocol. And all of a sudden it was, whoa, wait a minute, we'll accept nuclear, we'll accept natural gas, blah, 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 allowed it back in. I think you saw a similar thing happen when Trump came in, uh, resistance to include these sources. But when he withdrew, I think some olive branches went out and said, we'll do that. Having gone, as I said, to almost, I think, about 30 of these conferences dating back. Nice. I would honestly say, in my opinion, the this is all politics, that the heart and soul of that which is driving this UN agenda does not really seriously want to do nuclear, does not embrace natural gas. They have in mind what they call sustainable development, which is to limit economic growth. They even right. call it e-growth. It's to limit the population of the planet. It's to through they, they in fact even have a plan and Biden announced it as a 30 by 30 plan where they want to lock up a third of the United States and make it essentially a park uh where you can't do mining you can't do drilling you can't right. do um and they want to do that in the world too there's actually a plan to lock up a third of the world that way so i think they view mankind as essentially pollution they need to limit our numbers our footprint on the planet and that includes energy one of the best ways you can do it is to limit our use of energy if you have right. no energy you can't run anything 
And in their mind, the COVID lockdowns was a wonderful thing because economic progress stopped and Mother Nature, according to the articles you read, was starting to heal itself. And uh, it's a it's a flawed it's a flawed it's almost a theology with them. And so I don't I don't trust their motivations. Yes, they may buy into the nuclear and gas for now, but I wouldn't expect it long term. I love the way you thought through that. That is absolutely a hoot. Well, Craig, I am so excited to have gotten to meet you. Thank you for all your success and keeping an eye out there. How do people get a hold of CPAC and how do people get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, the best way to do so is to reach me through CFAC. That's C-F-A-C-T, C-F-A-C-T dot O-R-G. They can email or go online at that address and you can sign up for updates. You'll see my information there. And right. uh, that's what you can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And, you know, uh, that's C fact, not the way I talk in Texas or Oklahoma. It's C fact, right. correct? Right. With an fact. F. D-F-A-C-T. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, Craig. And I can't wait to visit with you again. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you back with some updates. Well, I look forward to coming back. You have a great day.